Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. So, Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of majesty by the name of Jesus. I'm thankful tonight for a really cold evening, but a heated room, and brothers and sisters that love you gathered here to hear your word. And so I ask uh, that as we hear your word and as we pray together uh, after that, that your will would be done in this place and that we would, having met tonight, uh, having prayed together, we would be further along in our walk with Christ than if we had not met. Um, that you would do things tonight that would surprise us. And God, that you would answer prayers and move among us here uh, and, 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 and just do things that, that we know wouldn't have happened if we didn't meet tonight. And so honor the speaking of your word. Help me, strengthen me, Lord. I'm just a person. I'm just a, a weak human being. And so uh, anoint this time together. Anoint the, the sharing and the receiving and the hearing of your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, I always try my best to get notes so you can study these further. Um, that's really my heart. I, I love um, digging into the word and, and making it accessible to others. My exhortation is, if you can see it in the Bible, believe it. If you can't, just throw it out. Even if I say something or your favorite pastor or preacher says something, if you can't see it in the Bible, just throw it out. Everybody has a little bit that they're still, you know, working out in their theology at least. And and so I give those for further study. I probably won't touch on every point tonight because I have a few uh, extra notes than normal, but wanted to give a little bit of detail um, on this subject. And again, uh, the title being Jesus, Glorious Servant. Why do I say Glorious Servant? Let me touch on the introduction real quick. Traditionally, when we talk about Jesus as a servant, um, we, we think of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. That's how it's often presented when we discuss the servanthood of Jesus. And we're going to look into, you know, what the Gospels say about him as a servant, and then we're going to, you know, go beyond that tonight. But this is a subject that's usually looked at from the lens of You know, he was the one who served his father and was willing to suffer on the cross. And that's pretty much all of Christian scholarship on the subject. And that is so glorious, we can't ever graduate from that. But tonight I have a different angle I want to look at, Jesus the servant. Because what we tend to do, again, is we look backward As we should, we look backward at the cross and we notice God was willing to humble himself and serve us 
and take away our sins, though he never had to do that, but he did. And so he was, as Isaiah 53, it talked about this man who is despised and rejected and, uh, and you know, suffered for us, and it's this idea of the suffering servant. But the glorious truth is that Jesus wasn't just a servant back then. He was a servant 2,000 years ago, and he's a servant forever. Even in heaven, right now, he's serving his church, and for endless ages, he will still serve his people forever. This is such an amazing topic, and it's almost mind-bending if you've never really explored it, and so that's why we're going there tonight. So let's go down to number two. Let's just share briefly the idea of Jesus as a servant, okay? Because that's clear through the Gospels, but a few passages, Luke 22, uh, 27, Jesus says, I'm among you as one who serves. In John 13, the very well-known passage of Scripture where it says uh, he washes the disciples' feet. You know, they're arguing about who's going to be greatest and biggest and who's going to be the leader and Jesus pulls out his little, you know, rag and gets his little water basin and begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And in that day, there was nothing lower that you could do. That was it. I mean, I don't know what the equivalent is today, but culturally speaking, that service was done by a slave or a very menial-ranked servant that happened to be there to take care of the guests. You know, in that culture, they've got their sandals, they walk miles, and their feet are dirty, so they get there, they sit down, and a, and a servant or a slave, you know, washes their feet. That was considered the lowest of the low. There was nothing lower than that. And so it was shocking. You know, Jesus gets out this water basin, and he begins to wipe the feet and they're just what are you're supposed to be the messiah you're supposed to be the christ we, we believe that you're the lord what are you doing washing feet and he began to school them on what a messiah is truly like what the son of god is actually like what the christ really behaves like which is he takes the lowest possible place to serve others. That was not on their mind. For most of the disciples, what was on their mind is praise God, this prophesied Messiah is here. He's going to deliver us from the Roman government. This oppressive Roman government, this brutal Caesar leadership that you know has occupied us like Egypt occupied us we can't wait until he slays all of his enemies and Jesus goes mm, that's not how my kingdom works that's not what I'm doing what I'm doing is I'm showing you the highest way which is the way of a servant this is very um, troubling for the 12. The 12 wanted someone powerful. 
The 12 wanted a deliverer. The 12 wanted a, a political Messiah. And he was all of those things, but not like they were thinking. I love it when he says to them in John 13, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you, that you should do to one another as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who uh, is sent greater than uh, he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you understand what I'm doing right now by washing your feet. I did not come primarily to do a government takeover. I came to show you what being kingly really looks like. Now, there's going to come a day where Jesus rules the world. That's, that's settled. That's, that's a future time when he returns. He'll restore the earth for a thousand years. That's another sermon for another day. That day is coming. But when he came the first time 2,000 years ago, he wanted to show his disciples and his followers a value system that the world did not understand. He wanted to show them the value system of a kingdom that is not of this world. And here's the thing, 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. We are to do life and we are to interpret his ways in the same spirit. We're to uh, look at that passage, passage and say that's, that's what we're called to do as well. Now there's a lot of people today I don't know where you're at tonight. There's a lot of people today. And again, I'm not going to go too far off onto this because this is not the point of my message, but I have it written here. There are many Christians today, they view Jesus primarily as someone who's going to fix government overreach and deliver them from conservatism or liberalism or nationalism or socialism that's how they interpret Jesus that's what he he exists to lift off the government oppression that they don't like when in reality he says no that's not at all why I came I came to teach you to serve people I didn't come to pick a side, and then try to get that political agenda forward. He has nothing to do with that. He's king of king and lord of lords. He's above all of that. But that's not why he came, and that's not what he's doing right now. And we would do well to step back and to back away from the political narrative and put on a Christ-like narrative. If we can't look at someone we disagree with over there on that side of whatever thing or on that side of whatever thing, if we're not thinking to serve them and to love them and to show Christ to them, we're not in a Christ-like narrative. Many Christians today, and this has really escalated in the last year or so with the pandemic, the social issues, the uh, gentleman who was killed by the police officer, the uh, presidential election here in the U.S., all of that has caused a surfacing of what's our real narrative. Many Christians, sadly, their, their guiding narrative is political, not Christian. So they go to a church for an hour a week, but they're obsessed with politics 167 other hours of the week. 
back away from that, for real. If you are a true follower of Jesus, yes, we understand politics, we understand how the world works, but our obsession is a man named Christ Jesus and his ways, which is we don't look at that person as a villain or that person, oh my goodness, that, that governor or that president or that, that Caesar or that Roman ruler, we don't look at it that way. We look at people are to be served. And in serving them, maybe they will want our Jesus. If our Jesus is efficacious enough, if we present him well through our lifestyle. I'm not going to get too far off onto this, guys. Jesus did this for a reason. Again, his guys were thinking, ooh, we... We got a Messiah. He's going to destroy Rome. Israel's going to be free. Yes. And he's like, no, not at all. You're going to serve people and I'm going to die on a cross. How do you like that? Oh, it's not. They could not wrap their mind. Jesus went to Peter. Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. You're not going to wash my feet. Then you have nothing to do with me. That's what he said. Okay, then wash my whole body then. Just your feet, actually. That's all I need to do. He had so many lessons within lessons for all of his guys. But the thing they couldn't get was that this Messiah is a man of humility and meekness like no other man. And he gets things accomplished by washing feet. Friends, here's the thing. 2,000 years later, it's bigger than ever. The church is in the billions now without taking over Rome, without instituting political agendas. He washed feet. He preached sermons about love your enemies, and it's still going. And we think, ah, but if we only got politics figured out, that no, it has nothing to do with that. I'd love to have a great country till Jesus comes back. But it's not the top of his list. And we have, to rem- we have to understand this, brothers and sisters. This Jesus that we serve, the Jesus of the New Testament, the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of Orthodox Christian faith for 2,000 years is a foot washer. He's seated on the right hand of the Father right now above the circle of the earth. He's there He's very powerful. He made all that there is in the universe, and he's a foot washer. So important to understand this. Back away from the political narrative is my, I urge us. You Maybe you're watching through Facebook Live, or you're here in the recording, or you're here in the room. Orient your mind toward a Christ-like narrative. Let's go down to letter C here. Under, under letter C, Mark 10, 42 to 45. Whoever of you desires to be first, you want to be the top leader? You want to be the first best disciple? You want to be in charge? You want to run things? Jesus says, then you get to be the slave of all. Even the Son of Man, this is what he said of himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve. 
shocking words from someone who made the universe. What does this mean? Even the Son of Man, who is that? That's the person who made creation. That's Genesis 1 God. (laughs) That's the person Daniel talked about. This is the person that the prophets prophesied. And when he gets on the scene, what does he do? He says, I didn't come to have a bunch of servants tickle me with feathers and feed me grapes. I came to serve you guys. And to go to the cross and take away your sins so we could be together forever. And he says, now you go do likewise. Life as a Christian is not one 75-year journey of what can people give me. It's a 75-year journey of learning what can I give other people. It's we go and get God in private and we give him to everybody else. That's what we do as Christians. We don't get mad, oh, I got slighted by that person and I didn't get the job promotion by that person. We don't live our life offended and entitled. We live our life to give to others. Even when they mistreat us, we double down on prayer and we love them even more. That's what Christians do. That's what Jesus did. That's what we do if we are his followers. Amen? Oh, my Jesus says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom. In that room when he's washing feet, he was giving them a prophetic picture. Here's what my life is actually doing. I am washing you clean so that we can be together forever. I mean, here's the thing. If someone comes out of heaven, lives among us for 33 years, and instead of demanding that we serve him in his government, he serves us, don't you want to follow a person like that? I mean, think of Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler. They demand allegiance, and if, you don't, if you're not devoted to me, I kill you. The Son of God comes on the scene. You're thinking that's going to be even more intense. And he says, no, no, it's nothing like those people. I serve you. And I serve you so well that you don't become self-obsessed. You want to serve others. Wow. I mean, you'd think someone as important as God. As soon as he gets on the scene, I want a parade. I want army tanks I want people shooting guns I want fireworks I want you guys to know I'm God nothing like this nothing like any other political leader he says here's the sign that I am the son of man here's the sign that I'm the son of God among you get me a towel and a water basin and just sit there so I can clean you and if you argue with me I'll clean you more Peter Peter got cranky a time or two, and so Jesus had to, I think he might have washed his feet and kind of smacked him a little bit around the cheeks and settle down, Peter, I got to wash you. Some of us are too humble for God, and we, I don't need to be cleaned, Lord. No, I need to clean you double. Now let's get to the crux of the message here. We're talking about Jesus the servant, but 
Number three on the back of the notes, Jesus is a glorious servant. He didn't stay that humble, you know, 33-year-old man in the Gospels. He went to the cross. Excuse me. He died. He was resurrected, appeared to witnesses, ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's there right now, seated in glory. He's He's there right now. And and this man is seriously powerful. (laughs) I mean, mean, you might think of who's the most powerful person in the world, multiply that by billions. Okay, no matter how powerful someone might be, a prime minister or a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Jesus makes planets. I mean, there's just no comparison. I mean, someone who makes stars and comets and planets and, and people, whoo, When John was a young man, in John 13, it said he used to lean against Jesus. That's how close they were. They were friends. Jesus, can I lean on you? Oh, sure, John. Okay. A little weird, but okay. (laughs) I don't know. John would just lean on. You know, it was the disciple whom Jesus loved. We fast forward to the book of Revelation. John's an old man. He's in prison on the island of Patmos. And in the book of Revelation, the Revelation vision, John sees Jesus, but this time, Jesus, he's not wearing like a, a dirty, you know, robe thing and washing feet. He's so bright, and the fullness of glory is emanating from Jesus. It blows John over. John falls like a dead man. And so Jesus is the same person But the reality is when he was on earth, he had that glory turned like all the way down so that no one really noticed. But now he's in heaven. And the Bible says, I believe it's Hebrew, says he dwells in unapproachable light. He's so bright that you can't even approach the light that emanates from him. That's how holy this man is. There is a literal shine that comes out of him like the sun, but it it makes the sun pale in comparison. You get to a point, you're like walking near him, and you're just like, it's just too bright. Even with my eyes closed, I can't. (laughs) It's that bright. John sees him in the vision, and he just collapses. Ah, like a dead man, it says in Revelation 1.17. It says, I saw him. I fell at his feet as dead, but... But Jesus, though he's full of power and glory, brighter than the sun, blows John over. John's like dead on the ground like in a you know, charismatic church service. He just, ah. And Jesus I love, he says he touches him. Don't be afraid. I'm the same friend that you used to lean against, but now there's no restraint. It's going to be a little different. I love you. We're friends still, but the glory has been dialed up all the way. It's different. And so John, I think in that moment, was like, oh my goodness. I mean, I knew he was the Messiah, but I couldn't really tell because he just let me lean against him. Now his, the, the, the light that shines off him just blows me over. What I love about Jesus in this is he's the same person. He's so bright and powerful, but he still is the one that says, John, he says he touches him puts his right hand on him. Don't be afraid, John. Same guy here. (laughs) Just changed my clothes a little bit. Oh, I love this. 
John had such a tender friendship with him, and he still does. But he's like, oh man, this is, you are so powerful. How can we not worship a man like this? In the fullness of his glory, he still reaches down to lift us up when we're blown over by his presence. I mean, I just think, how many times in heaven are we just going to look at him, just, you know, fall over, and he'll just come over? That happens all the time. Yeah, stand back up here. I love you. One of the greatest assurances in the Bible, Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. Forever. The same Jesus that we see in the Gospels, the same Jesus that's up there right now, he will be like that for the rest of eternity. He will not change. Why won't he change? Because you don't need to change perfection. Perfection doesn't need to get better. He will never become an evil dictator. This is what some people are afraid. A lot of people are more nervous about heaven than they lead on. A lot of people, oh, I mean, I, I want to kind of go there, but is, I mean, is it going to really be that good? Yeah, it's really going to be that good. He will not change. He won't kind of allure us for a few thousand years, get a bunch of followers, and then when we all get to heaven, surprise, I'm a dictator. Now line up and get, the, get all of those army tanks moving, and he's never going to do that. One of the reasons we know this is because he fulfilled prophecy exactly as it was said through his prophets. He is who he said he would be through his prophets. And we know based on many confirmations in the word of God, he won't like 10 billion light years from now shock us and be like this completely radically tyrannical dictator person who takes over. He'll never be that way. He will always be, as it says, he said this about himself, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. He'll always be that way. He's powerful. He rules the universe. He leads the cosmos. He makes stars and planets. He'll always be a meek, humble, lowly servant for the rest of eternity. And you never have to fear waking up one morning 50 billion years from now and he's standing over your bed saying, surprise, I'm a dictator now. I hope you like that because if you don't, I'm going to kill you. What about all the stuff in the Bible? Heaven was going to be great. Yeah, I changed that. Did I just change it whenever? No. This isn't going to be like a, you know, a, a bad nightmare type of situation. He will never change. I am so excited about it. So, so go with me on a journey here. Imagine this. Imagine this. This is a totally made up number, but 73 million years from now. Okay, Jesus has come again. The millennial reign has happened. The earth is restored. There's a new heavens and a new earth. And we're talking tens of millions of years into eternity, right? Okay, so this is just imagine with me. Jesus has been on the earth 
You've been on the earth because you're never going to die. You're just going to be bright and full of energy for the rest of eternity. I mean, praise God. New heavens, new earth. You'll have jobs. You'll have tasks. You'll have interactions with Jesus. There will be so much happening. So imagine this, 73 million years from now, totally made up number. You're working your garden. You know, you got your mansion that you live in. There's a garden out back. And you're working your garden. You're wearing your sandals that day. And you see out of the corner of your eye, there he is. There he, oh, he's, oh my goodness. I, I thought he had a meeting today. But there he is. Oh my gosh. And you're so full of excitement. He comes over the hill, comes down the hill. Hey, who should I pick on tonight? Sabrina. I'll pick on you. So he comes over the hill. He comes down. The, I know. I saw you. I saw you gardening again. I noticed you got some dirt on your feet, though. Mind if I take care of that? Well, I wish you would. <laughs> and so he produces a, a water basin and towel out of nowhere because he can do that stuff. Boom. And he just says, Brandon, let me just wash those feet for a second. And, and by the way, how, how's things going? I mean, 73 million years of eternity. What do you think? I mean, this is going to actually happen. Interactions like that are really going to happen. And he's never going to not be like that. The same John that leaned on him, you'll be able to lean on him. That's real. And so here's the thing. It's going to be worth it. This life is hard. Remember, 73 million years from now, maybe he'll be riding on his white horse like the painting that David painted downstairs. There's Samids there and then the Jesus on the white horse coming over the hill. I kind of imagine every so often, he'll just kind of show up at your backyard while you're gardening. You know, and by the way, the vegetables are going to be like, you know, strawberries, you can barely hold them. They'll be that big. You know, you'll have to cut them and have I mean, we're talking everything's going to be redeemed. I hope. I mean, those, those strawberries are going to be real good. He will always be meek. Always. Which means he'll have this incredible power about him, but he'll never, ne never use it wrong. He'll never abuse you. He'll never hurt you. He'll never make you afraid. I mean, there's just so much to this man. It's so incredible. He'll be a servant forever. Here's the truth. There's a foot washer sitting on the right hand of the Father's throne. He's a foot washer. That's who he is forever. He did not change and he will not change. It's so important to understand this. The person that we worship on Sunday mornings, Friday nights, and we pray to throughout the week, he's a foot washer. He's a humble man. He's very meek. He's very lowly, but he also makes stars and planets and people. I mean, imagine that being on your resume. Oh, Jesus, what do you do? What can you do for our business? Oh, you make people. Stars? <laughs> I just, the man is amazing. Oh, man, he's, he's so incredible. How do we not love him and worship him? Man, to have the assurance that we're going there, not just to, quote, heaven, some generic ethereal place. No, no, heaven's not heaven just because it's heaven. Heaven is heaven because this man is there. 
This man named Jesus who's kind, patient, he's better than all of us. I mean, I have trouble being kind for like one straight day. We're talking about somebody who will only be kind forever. Like, what? (laughs) Who are you? You know, someone who's never had anger enter their heart. Like, that's a guy I could worship, actually. You know, that's, that's a person I could lift my hands up to and give my whole life to. Man, I love discovering more about him. Maybe he'll show up to Peter's house 75 million years from now. Hey, Pete, you want to go fishing? Can I wash your feet? How about I do the whole thing? <laughs> I mean, maybe he jokes and, oh, I can't wait. I mean, it's just going to be cool. I love in the Song of Solomon, it says, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000, the Passion Translation. I love that. It says, He alone is my beloved. He shines in dazzling splendor, yet is still so approachable, without equal, as he stands above all others, outstanding among 10,000. Dazzling in splendor, yet still approachable. Wow. Let me close this here briefly, then we're going to pray. I'm going to close just with a thought about the future of the church, because folks are thinking that right now. You know, we've gone through this pandemic, people, well, we're, what's, you know, what's the future of the church, and what's the next thing, and I've been asked that before. You know, a lot of people, what happens is they get disgruntled with their church or their ministry, and so they start asking, well, where, where's this ministry going anyway? Where is this church? It just seems like we do the, the same old thing. What do you... Where? So sometimes people ask it as they're on their way out. And a lot of people do ask it in, in good nature, but the reality is this. The head of the body of Christ is a servant. And so, therefore, the future of the church is servanthood. Don't don't try to figure out what the next movement is or what church I should go to or, you know, what ministry should I align with. Those are, they're all natural questions, but they're not really the best question because I've watched this for 20 years. People chase after You know, well, I thought that was going to be the movement that would bring Jesus back. Or, oh, I went after, you know, I I followed them for a while and I went to church in that denomination. And, And so people, they chase something their whole life and they end up disillusioned. They end up kind of shallow, like, like let down. And sometimes they don't know why. When the whole time they really looked at it as a consumer. What can I get out of it? I want to be aligned with that because I want to benefit. I want to go to church there so that I get told what I want to hear. Or I go over here because of this or that. When reality is, is that the only, the only way you really end up satisfied and deeper is if you stop viewing everything as a consumer and you view it as an opportunity to serve. Jesus' church, Jesus' church is a place to serve, not consume. The Greater Peoria House of Prayer or your local church or that ministry down the road or 
It's a place where we go to serve. Like no matter where you go to church, no matter who your pastor is, no matter how many books they have written, no matter how big or small it is, it is a place we go to notice the guy over there and serve that guy. Or, oh, I've never seen that person. How can I bless them? Or our neighbor. Or the person that's in the hospital. We can't, you know, do serve everybody in the whole world, but, but there are a few people in our world we can show Christ to them. And so let me save you, let me spare you from any further disillusionment than maybe you have experienced. Let's not approach our Christian existence as what can I get, but how much can I give? To me, that's really where the satisfaction comes in. That's where the meaningfulness comes in. Of course, our whole life we receive. People give things to us. People teach us. People pray for us and bless us. So we should never stop becoming uh, receivers. We need to be great receivers. But if we stay there, that's, that's a, we stay immature. Eventually, we recognize, look, I've got to keep eating but now I got to feed others as well. That's what the natural progression of maturity. I, someone fed me, then I learned to feed myself, and then now I got these other little things running around my house that I have to feed and then teach them how to feed others, and that's how it goes in ministry and life. The more we become like Jesus, the more we see our responsibilities to be humble servants who give to others. We resist viewing ourselves as like entitled consumers. Well, I hope the worship team really has it today and the pastor better really have a good word and that person better do this and this, or I'm out of here. Well, where, where does that get you? That gets you disillusioned. That gets you really nowhere. That gets you going from church to church to church and you end up thinking, oh, I'm right and they're wrong. No, you're a consumer instead of a servant. And I, I'll say this uh, a, li- a little bit uh, edgy the church is full of them and we need a greater revelation jesus loves his church he's not like gonna i mean he may have a few words for him (laughs) he he does bring correction at times but but gang the future of the church it's not a new movement it's not a new method it's seeing the man It's servanthood, it's humility, it's lowliness, it's meekness, it's Christ-likeness. That's the future of the church, no matter what's happening around us. No matter if it's World War III or the Third Great Awakening, it really ultimately doesn't matter because either way, we're called to serve our neighbor. And we're called to serve those people that are around us. The head of the body of Christ the head. He's a foot washer, gang. And he'll never change. And that's what he expects of us. And so, as a ministry, we don't, we're not trying to produce something in our city. We're not trying to be the next big thing. What we're trying to do ultimately is, is view ourselves as We're servants serving the church in our city and beyond with our prayers.
We exist here to serve people out there. I exist to serve my family and the ministry. The ministry exists. I mean, we pray for churches all over the area. We pray for America. We pray for the nations. We're like intercessory servants. And what we're hoping to do is produce prayers and, you know, content and, you know, prayer points on the radio and messages and note that, that are aimed at serving people. And if we all had that mentality, I think Jesus would, I think he'd be much more attractive in the eyes of people that really need him. So I've taken some time tonight. I've shown you from a few scriptures, Jesus is a servant. He'll always be a glorious servant. And the future of the church, it's serving. So as we take some time to pray tonight, let's keep this in mind. And as you think about this message this weekend, just pray into it. Like, Lord, help me to be like you. I fail at it. I'm terrible at it. I'll get this crusty attitude sometimes that you should be doing that. And then I'll be like, oh, God, I forgot. You're a servant. I'm supposed to be. Uh. We all have to recognize that. The sooner we do, the better. You know, if, if months and years go by where we forget, it's like, oh, that was bad. I just, a lot of people didn't see Jesus there. So let's let the Lord, no matter how high we go, no matter how big our position is, how much money we have, let's view ourselves as those who have a Lord who washes feet, we wash feet. He serves, we serve. In Jesus' name, let me pray. Father, we are so blessed to know your Son, Jesus Christ. And we see from Scripture tonight that he is not just king of kings and lord of lords. He is servant of servants. And he wasn't just a servant 2,000 years ago. He's a servant today and he will always be that servant. And so Holy Spirit, make real in our hearts and in our minds this mentality to be a people who are humble, who are meek, who are lowly, who serve you and serve others for the glory of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.